1991, I was diagnosed with having Crohn's disease. So most recent scans have showed uh, absence of Crohn's activity in my large intestine. Welcome to You Cured What? The podcast of reversing the irreversible. This is where you hear how real people are healing from conditions that most people think they're stuck with for life. I'm your host, Joe Kalb. If I had to give you some medical advice, I'd go to medical school and get a medical degree. Seriously, nothing in this podcast is medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute as such. Now, enjoy the You Cured What? conversation. My guest today has decades of experience living with Crohn's disease, and he has years of experience healing from it. I'm excited to have Josh Gaines on the podcast. Hi, Josh. Hey, Joe. You have uh, dealt for a large portion of your life. You've dealt with Crohn's disease, and I think we're going to cover that um, in some detail today. I guess I'll just uh, throw it over to you. Can you give a little bit of a, a background of uh, kind of your health history and um, and then uh, maybe from where you started all the way to where you are now, how you feel now? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we'll try to take a cut at it. If it's too much uh, detail or too little, feel free to, to jump in. We'll keep it interactive. <laughs> sure. So in 1991, uh, when I was 29 years old, I'm 58 today, for those of you who are math challenged. Um, 1991, I was diagnosed with having Crohn's disease. I um, was living in Charlottesville, Virginia at the time in law school. I was diagnosed at the medical center there. And the doctor, who was also a professor, uh, gastroenterology who diagnosed me uh, told me that um, you know he had noted that in my record that my father had had uh, type 1 diabetes and he said well this is your thing that you're going to be dealing with for the rest of your life the way he had to deal uh, with type 1 diabetes now um, my father actually had um, died just uh, six months earlier at the age of 61 so that certainly wasn't a you know, it didn't strike me as a particularly uh, positive outlook, but uh, I, I understood the sentiments that this was a condition that was going to need my attention uh, over time. And I remember talking to him then about, well, is there something I should eat or shouldn't eat? Uh, and he told me that, um, you know, just be sort of experiment on yourself and see what bothers you and what doesn't bother you. He said, because people are different and um, I guess the bottom line was he really didn't have a whole lot to to offer me. He said, you know, sometimes nuts and seeds cause problems for people because part of what Crohn's is is it's an autoimmune disease where your intestines get, instead of having a thin uh, muscular wall of your intestines that that can move rhythmically to gradually move food through your system, um, your intestines get spongy and soft and they they tend to perforate, uh, and as the walls of the intestines thicken, um, that what they'll end up doing is sort of choking off the intestinal opening because both sides walls on both sides will be be thickened, and where there used to be a 
you know, a, a hole in the center like a hose. Uh, now it's much more difficult for anything to get through when you're when you're having, a, a, you know, a severe uh, Crohn's outbreak. So, um, and so what what are some of the I guess manifesting symptoms of a Crohn's outbreak? Yeah. Well, well, certain certainly pain, but um, uh, Crohn's have maybe similar to other uh, um, you know bowel conditions. Um, it, it's the pain and pressure and the urgency that you feel to uh, uh, to go to the bathroom and where whereby you think you know there, there's so much gas and pressure and you have limited space in your intestines because of the swelling that you think, you know, I may not make it to a bathroom, yet wow. five minutes ago I kind of felt okay and now I'm in, wow. the, in, in this uh, terribly desperate uh, situation. So you had to think about, you know, I'm having a di- difficult time while I certainly am going to go to work, but I'm going to think about, okay, well, where's the bathroom and what are the circumstances and might I need to exit and, and gosh, I better not eat, try to eat anything which might, um, you know, uh, exacerbate the, the problem. So, so over the years from 1991, and, and, and by the way, the, the, it's an autoimmune condition and often it's accompanied with other autoimmune conditions. And before my diagnosis, this is in the late eighties, I remember one day, uh, I went to, uh, Take a shower, and I had an old style shower with, with you know with a bathtub at the time, and you have to you know step up over into the the bathtub to uh, get in. And I was 27 years old, r- roughly at the time. And I remember one morning I was so stiff that I couldn't bend my knees sufficiently to like step up over the lip of the bathtub to get into the bathtub. Wow. And I went to see the doctor, and I said, this is arthritis. I mean, what is this? So uh, you know, I took some anti-inflammatories, and then it, it went away. And I'd have some discomfort once in a while from from joint issues, but I, I, I had no idea what it was. And then whatever it was, three years later, um, I was diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease, and the doctors made that connection for me at, the, at that time. So... You know, dealt with it. Um, uh, got a job uh, as an attorney in Boston in the, in 1994. Worked long hours, ate whatever was available. If you worked past six o'clock at the large law firm I was at, then the cafeteria, which was still open, um, would no longer charge you for food. So you could <laughs> eat whatever you wanted if you if you uh, worked after six, because the expectation was you would continue to work for the duration, possibly until uh, the next morning. So I would eat whatever food I felt like uh, eating uh, and uh, put on quite a bit of, uh, of weight uh, at that time. And then in 1996, I had a series of painful outbreaks. And every year or so, we would do the scopes and scans to try to track the progression. Um, and what my doctors told me was, don't worry about so much about the pictures. Yes, we see the disease is progressing, but as long as you're comfortable and your symptoms are kind of good enough and we can manage those, there's really not a whole lot we can we can do. And when you have a flare-up, we'll give you prednisone or some other steroid to try to calm the flare-up, but... Um, so largely, this was going to be a progressive disease. It, it, it sounds like you weren't given a lot of hope that there was 
anything you can really do to uh, reverse this condition to make it go away. It would just be kind of managing, you know, trying to manage the flare-ups as best as you could. Right. Manage the symptoms. It was an expectation uh, that I would have multiple surgeries over the course of, of my life um, and eventually maybe end up with an ostomy where they just route your intestines, you know, out at the side of your abdomen and you don't, you no longer have the, 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 the system that works through. So in 1996, um, again, I was probably at my heaviest at the time, was close to probably 250 pounds. And I started to have real serious Crohn's uh, flare-up symptoms, tried a variety of medications, including steroids, didn't get much benefit. And finally, it got to the point um, where my intestines were obstructed from the swelling and I really couldn't eat much of anything. So I dropped from about 250 down to my pre-operation weight was 178. So I lost whatever that is, 72 pounds. And I lost that by drinking apple juice, basically. I mean, I I couldn't eat any food. I liked apple juice more than orange juice. It had apple juice had no pulp (laughs) in it. So when I was hungry, I would drink some apple juice, but obviously it wasn't sufficient to to maintain weight. And it was not a healthy 178. There's no exercising involved. I was very uncomfortable. Um, And the hope was to get the flare up to calm enough that they could go and do a fairly focused surgery on me rather than a broader um, surgery covering a larger portion of my intestines. So I did have surgery in January of uh, 1997 and had a section about 15 inches long of my intestines, right where the small intestine and the large intestine come together. They removed a, about a 15-inch section. Um, it should have looked like a piece of garden hose, but instead it was roughly the size of a, of a football. The doctor showed me a picture, but it was so small in that, um, you know, you you couldn't wrap your two hands around it when it should have been uh, like a, a garden hose. Wow. Uh, so I was fortunate. The um, resection, they reconnected it, and and that was was fine. And I, I, there were other places that had that showed symptoms, but they weren't so severe. So the hope was I would go on and continue to manage. And I went on to a different type of medication, which I seem to manage the um, the flare-ups better than, than previously. Okay. Okay. So um, basically at that point, just for background in terms of, of diet, um, my girlfriend at the time in, ni- in 1985 was a, a, a vegan and she educated me, at least from her perspective, on uh, animal rights issues and on health issues uh, surrounding a vegan diet. And I said, well, look, I'm not going to become a vegan, but we compromised that I would give up red meat. And I thought that would red meat was supposedly so hard to digest, and maybe that would help my, my Crohn's, and, um, which I didn't, again, this is... Later, when I continued, obviously in 1984, when this discussion, or 85, when this discussion took place, I hadn't been diagnosed yet, but I had had intestinal issues, and I thought, I didn't know it was Crohn's. I said, well, maybe it'll help my intestinal issues. I'll give it a try. And we were together until 1990. 
1991. Uh, and I, you know, it, it didn't, didn't get better. I, I had continued to progress, but I didn't think certainly the lack of beef would have anything to do with it. And I ate the standard American diet with, uh, with, uh, tr tried my best to eat whole grains and to keep the saturated fats down. But I also ate a lot of, you know, sugary crap. And I uh -huh. didn't know anything about what oils or fats might be healthy or unhealthy or, um, or any of that all the way through the Crohn's and the Crohn's surgery in 97. And then in uh, 2009, I learned more about, um, regenerative agriculture. And I decided, you know, I'm going to eat beef again, but I'm only going to eat beef from uh, locally raised grass fed beef where I can see the circumstances of the life and, and death of these animals. And I happened to find the a, a diner in uh, near, um, near, um, the name of Larry, Larry Bird's uh, hometown, French Lake, oh, French Lake, French yeah. Lake uh, Indiana. And uh, I met the farmer who was working at the diner that he owned. And we talked about his animals and how we raised them. And I said, you know what, I'm going to have my first hamburger in, uh, in 2024, 20, 25 years. So I did that in wow. 2009. It was delicious. <laughs> I, I was I was wondering, yeah, but... <laughs> uh, and uh, continued on managing the managing the Crohn's. Um, that they did not have to have any additional surgeries, and in approximately 2010, I had an experience with one of my sons. And my wife and I have a blended family. I have three sons and a daughter. Um, and I had an experience with one of my sons that helped me understand the impact that food um, could have on somebody's health. And that's really the first thing that started me on this, uh, this path. So one of my sons had been developing some physical tics. What he would do is he would close his eyes like with an extended blink and he would hold his eyes closed. At first, it was just a little bit longer than normal where you would think, is he holding his eyes closed on purpose? I mean, he was eight years old at the time. So he didn't necessarily think anything of it. And then he started to sniffle and then he'd hold his eyes closed for five seconds. And when you'd ask him about it, he said, well, what happens if you try not to do that? He would say, if I really concentrate on not doing it, then I cannot do it for like a minute. But then I really have to do it um, after a certain period of time. And if I don't pay attention to it, then it just sort of happens naturally. So we uh, took him to a neurologist and the neurologist diagnosed him with uh, Tourette's syndrome, which obviously was pretty scary to, for, to his mom and 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 me, and yeah. so so we um, the doctor said, well, it's not so severe. We want to put him on medications. It could have multiple side effects. So we started to do research, and we found a local, what we jokingly called a local earthy crunchy doctor, <laughs> um, a do an integrative. Uh, physician who was interested in, um, you know, really understanding everything about my son. And we went in for like a three-hour appointment, did every kind of blood test, saw the results. And what the doctor told us was, why don't you try to take him off of all added sugar products? This is, again, now he's almost nine. His ninth birthday is coming up. 
no artificial color, oh. no corn syrup. And that meant when he went to birthday parties, he couldn't have no any cake, cake and, um, and he couldn't have any candy. So we would send him with, with you know, his own little cupcake that was, uh, you know, naturally put together. Well, the ticks have been getting worse and worse for three years. And then over the six weeks, the first six weeks of the summer, as he was getting ready to go from uh, the parochial school he was in, only went through fourth grade. So he was getting ready to start fifth grade. And he was going to be in a completely different school with completely different kids. So he was willing to try anything, including not having birthday cake, because (laughs) he was very self-conscious about it. He was very embarrassed that everybody at his school knew that he had this condition because the tics had become so obvious. Yeah, I can see that would be very socially isolating, especially, yeah, like you said, if he's going into a new new environment, new new kids. So we, we... Obviously, he told the school he was going, you know, that he was going to be going into, and we tried to get him, make sure he had a certain teacher and the right support. But over the course of the summer, the first six weeks of the summer of having an absolutely clean diet, uh, the ticks which had accumulated over a three-year period and led to a neurologist, you know, with the, you know, EEG testing and all of that, diagnosing him with Tourette's, the ticks just went away over a six-week period. They got less and less and less, and in fact. So we, we kept him on, and they never came back, and we kept him on that clean diet for about three years, and then he started saying, well, you know what, I'm going to experiment a little bit. So now his diet, I'd say, is um, probably 90% clean, but when he's on vacation, he'll get ice cream, or when he goes to a birthday party, he'll have a piece of cake. Again, he's he, he's 18 at this point, yeah. and I'm certain if he saw any ticks coming back, he would he would flip the switch again, yeah. but he's never seen them coming back, so that struck me at the time, well, what is it about my other three children or about myself or my wife? What could be going on in our bodies from the crap that we're eating that isn't manifesting itself visibly? That's right. that, that that's that's right. causing something internally that might come and bite us in the butt at some point in the future. What? And yeah, and I was I'm just stunned by the fact that honestly that I always thought, well, if the FDA approved it, I'd been to law school and I understood the FDA and its role and they must have reviewed it. And if all these things are, are considered grass, which so you general stands for generally recognized as safe, if all the ingredients are considered safe. How how could it be that it's doing this to my son? And the answer is, there's a whole story of underlying <laughs> incentives and the way they test those things doesn't necessarily apply to everybody and certainly not to my son. Well, and I just want to emphasize this. I you know I want to hear more about um, you know how this led you on your path, but I mean. Just what you've already said is remarkable that your eight, nearly nine-year-old son in six weeks went from from Tourette's syndrome with tics that were progressing and getting worse and worse. And in six weeks of adopting a clean diet, it sounds like removing artificial flavorings, artificial uh, sweet, well, artificial colors, sugar. Um, just by removing those things in six weeks, your son lost his ticks. Like, he, they went away. Yeah. In, in fact, to the point that, that I was going to tie that together, when he went to his new school, where he's a, he's actually a senior today in that, in that system, 
no one at the new school who knew that he had ever had a problem because he happened to switch over that summer when he moved from one school to the other. Wow. So, you know, he this year he escorted the uh, the uh, you know the 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 senior prom queen or whatever, and he's wow. a very popular kid. He plays on var- a varsity tennis team and uh, varsity swimming team, and and he's just a you know he's an athletic, talented, popular kid, and he was heading on a completely different trajectory um, at the time we made this change. So wow. It, it, it was it was fantastic timing for him and very lucky, honestly, uh, that we we were able to get advice that worked for us. Yeah. Um, but it but it, it started to ask the question. So we tried to clean up everyone's diet as much as we could. Um, obviously, we, we we had four kids. It's tough to control them. We tried to live sure. a little bit by example, based on what we knew at the time, and that meant. A lot of whole grains and, you know, fruits and vegetables and, you know, whole grain breads and uh, generally, uh, you know, lower fat uh, meats. And we tried to live by example for our, our children by following what were supposed to be the best of the best guidelines. Yeah. So in 2013, I, I read a book, um, which I think is called Wheat Belly. Um, but it's, it's it's written and basically the message of the book is, hey, wheat and gluten causes all these problems. And even if you're not celiac, which I had been tested and I'm not celiac, wheat might be causing some of these other issues for you. And I thought, OK, well, let me be a scientist again with the with my son's experience in the, in the back of my mind and let me try to not eat wheat or barley or any gluten items. So I went gluten-free in February of 2013. And I remember the date because when people would ask, oh, how long have you been gluten-free? After a month, it was like, oh, well, last month. And it just, <laughs> I get asked that often enough that I that I never forgot the, uh, the date. Um, and within a couple of months, maybe less, the symptoms that were typically associated with my Crohn's that I would have periodically if I ate certain things or um, drank certain things. And those symptoms, I would say, improved by 80%. Just from going gluten-free. So again, I'm still eating oatmeal, making sure my oats are gluten-free and they weren't okay. produced in a factory that had gluten in it. I mean, I was very careful. Yeah. And I went to a restaurant. I'm always interviewing the, you know, the, the wait staff and the manager about what's in the different sauces and making sure I'm 100% gluten-free. Tremendous improvement just from that. And I went along being gluten-free thinking, well, how, how about that? And, and I still would get the occasional scope and scan and I still had active Crohn's activity in both my small intestine and my large intestine. Um, I was told through one of those scans that I had a sludgy gallbladder and uh, it recommended that I have my gallbladder removed. Uh, and no one could promise me that that was going to alleviate the symptoms I was dealing with. So I mm-hmm. thought, you know what, let me just wait for this to become a little bit more acute and, and I'm not gonna take that recommendation to remove my gallbladder, even though I was told it could be done laparoscopically, a very fast recovery. And I thought, 
I'm already missing one piece of my intestines. I, I might need my gallbladder uh, at, at some point. Uh, now, the interesting thing about a gallbladder, right, the function is it holds bile, and you need bile to help with the digestion of, of fat. So I, my low-fat diet, I think, and just to dumb it down the way it was explained to me as a non-medical person, I wasn't exercising my gallbladder. It would just sit there full of bile, and there would never be fat in the system that it would need to sort of squeeze that bile out and then get refilled. And it just sort of sat there getting with old bile and it getting sludgy the way it was. It's now since been explained to me by uh, who you know what I think is is uh, more informed uh, doctors. But again, I'm I'm not going to uh, <laughs> sign on for a medical uh, medical opinion. So. Gets to be 2017, and I'm reading more and more, and I start to read about the ketogenic diet and the therapeutic um, impact that can have on various conditions. And I've read about somebody with IBD, um, and um, And that's irritable bowel disorder. Right, so there's irritable bowel syndrome. And again, I can't explain exactly the difference from one to another. I know Crohn's is a little bit uh, different from each, but again, sometimes with irritable bowel syndrome or or IBD, the the intestines actually look okay on scan, but you still have this kind of urgency and discomfort and pressure. Well, with Crohn's, you can really see it. When I was diagnosed with Crohn's, I mean, it was obvious. Even even the interns that were in the room could show me the picture and say, "Okay, you see here and this, but that shouldn't look like this." Here's what a healthy intestine looks like, and here's what yours looks like. So very very dramatic difference. So I read about that and I thought, well, that that's fine. Let me expand my experiment and go on the ketogenic diet, and I'll eliminate uh, all grains, and I'll get my carbohydrates only from green vegetables, uh, non-starchy vegetables, and I'll eat lots of meats. And at the beginning, I did kind of those early ketogenic things like putting MCT oil in my coffee. And then I missed the uh, sugary things I used to eat. So I I would make sugar substitute things like brownies made with stevia and coconut flour. And, and uh, I have an ice cream maker, so I would make ice cream out of, you know, cream and out of coconut milk and then with with the erythritol or, or swerve or some other uh, keto-friendly sweetener with it. Yeah. So you were, uh, you still had kind of the, a little bit of a sweet tooth and you were trying to replace those sweets with uh, less carbohydrate um, or with sweeteners that had less carbohydrate. Correct. That's, exa- okay. and that's exactly right. And that, that way, because the, the, the ketogenic diet I was doing at the time was, I think people would call the classic ketogenic diet, the one where you're supposed to uh, have a very high fat content, maybe 75%, 70% of your calories from fat, call it 75, 20% from protein, and maybe 5% at most from carbohydrates. And, you know, just for anyone who's, um, you know, who's listening in, who may not uh, have a background in um, in the ketogenic diet or in nutrition in general, when you think about uh, foods, you've got your three macronutrients. So you've got carbohydrates, you've got proteins, and you've got fats. A lot of the standard American diet comes from carbohydrate. When you think about 
uh, things like uh, bread and other um, starches, uh, bread, potatoes, those are all very uh, carbohydrate-dominant foods, um, whereas fatty foods are going to be, um, you know, coming from, like, literal animal fat, um, you know, whether that's as part of um, as part of the meat, as part of a, a steak, or then oils. Oils are also uh, fat, so whether that's um, extra virgin olive oil or coconut oil, uh, things of that nature, you know, you've got your fats there and then your proteins. Um, you know, I think most of us are familiar with that because even at like Chipotle, they'll ask, oh, what protein do you want? But, uh, you know, a lot of those are going to come from, um, from animal products, things like, uh, like meats, cheeses, eggs. Um, you can get some from soy. Some, uh, green vegetables have a little bit of, you know, a halfway decent amount of protein in them. Like peas or beans or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this diet that, uh, that you're talking about, this classical ketogenic diet is, fat dominant, so, you know, a decent amount of protein and very, very low in carbohydrates. So bread, I guess you already had cut bread as part of your gluten-free. Well, yes, yes and no. I, I did have gluten-free bread, and, and okay. so I, I would steer around that because I was focused that, hey, gluten was the, the issue for me um, okay. as opposed to carbohydrates. Now, the, the result probably was that my carbohydrate consumption had declined some between 2013 and 2017 when I decided to start the ketogenic diet. And as I said, the symptoms for the Crohn's um, that I was experiencing externally that we talked about at the outset had declined by about 80%. Okay. But now as I got into the ketogenic diet, I saw even more of an improvement. And I started to feel that... The inflammation that was in my intestines, not only was I not having the experiences of the of the gas and the urgency and the pressure, diarrhea and the things that are that are common with the with Crohn's, um, but I actually historically I could feel pain if I would press on my abdomen, particularly in my lower right abdomen where my appendix used to be. Uh, well, it, I got a bonus appendectomy when they took out that section of my intestines. That's where my appendix was connected. So, I, uh, it, it's, but when I press on the lower right part of my abdomen, I would feel some discomfort. You could tell that there was something under there that was uh, uh, inflamed or sore in some some way, uh, and that pain started to go away. And I would have what the flare-ups and were even fewer and further between as I had cut back the carbohydrates uh, for the ketogenic diet. I wouldn't say it was 100%, but I would say we went from 80 to 90 plus in wow. terms of my ex my experience with the, the symptoms. Again, I periodically would have a scan every six months or so because they want to try to catch a problem before you know, I have a perforation and then when you have emergency surgery and, you, you know, you've got a significant issue. So they're trying to track the development. Uh, and, and and we aren't to the end of your story here, but I want to, um, 
I want to check in on something. Um, you mentioned you got a scan every six months. And what you've just detailed is kind of a progressive improvement in, um, in your condition over, I think we're looking at about four or five years at this point. Um, so you've had a, a market improvement and you've been going into, um, you know, to the doctor every, every so often during that time. But these ideas that you found that, um, have led to this improvement, you've kind of, you've largely found them on your own. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? I think largely is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> I, I've got no, I got, at that point I had no support either from my primary care physician not, uh, or from my gastroenterologist. And I went to a couple of different ones um, in that period of time. Um, that said, there, were, there wasn't a lot of objection because I would describe my diet in a way that wasn't offensive to doctors. I generally eat um, meat and cream vegetables, and occasionally I'll put coconut oil in my coffee or something like that. But as long as I was eating, oh, you're they would hear, oh, you're eating vegetables. This is yeah. fine. Well, they have fruit. Well, occasionally I have some berries. Oh, okay. So you're having a little fruit and some green vegetables. This this, this is fine. Go on and experiment. Uh, sounds like it's you're doing better. So that's great. Your intestines still don't look so great from the inside, but you know your symptoms are down, and that's really what we're after. Um, Although I will say that the, the newer specialty drugs, the, the gastroenterologists have become much more uh, aspirational and they want to experiment on you with, with um, very expensive specialty medications. And I've done a little of that to try to clear uh, the, the intestine so you'll get some of the same drugs that they use for arthritis, for example, like or, or even now for eczema. So you get Humira and it's several thousand dollars a month. So I experimented with that. I'm trying to remember the exact year. No effect whatsoever on me. And wow. they claim, well, about 15% of people don't uh, react well to that. Okay, well, that's nice nice of my company to have spent all that money for uh, <laughs> trying that for a year, but I had a scan before and after, and, and I had continued to progress in a negative direction. So okay. uh, no uh, no benefit from, um, from that attempted in- intervention. So yeah, it's not as if you haven't tried anything in you know over the course of the nearly thirty years of Crohn's disease. Uh, you, yeah, you've detailed that you've uh, tried a lot of different uh, medications, and it sounds like none of them none of them really panned out. But some of these uh, dietary changes were really moving the needle and. Uh, making a big impact on on your health. Yeah, that's right. So I continue I continued to try to learn and read, and I started to go to some conference and conferences and meet some of the experts myself, so I could ask them specifically about what I was eating and potential additional uh, interventions. And I had the uh, the good fortune to go to a, a local. Um, Science of uh, Low Carb Nutrition Conference at Ohio State, and I was able to go to uh, Dr. Steve Finney uh, on a break, and he was one of the early researchers and recommenders of the ketogenic diet. And I asked him, I said, "Well, 
What do you think of the idea of me eliminating everything except for animal products, so eating no vegetables whatsoever in order to have less fiber going through my system and maybe that would help my system heal. Now, obviously, I didn't make that up. I had read that on, on you know, carnivore blogs and there are people that have been pure carnivores for, for decades, some of them, and, and others that had experimented with it and blogged about it and had some success. So I wanted to try it, but I, would, I, I wanted to hear from someone of that level that this wasn't a horrible idea. Yeah. So he thought it was a sensible experiment, and I'm not suggesting he gave me uh, medical <laughs> medical advice or anything uh, inappropriate, oh. but I, I may have even presented my case as a, as a hypothetical uh, to him. <laughs> Hypothetically, you Hypothetically, may have done that. I'm asking for a friend, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's what I did. So for 14 and a half months, I didn't eat anything other than coffee. I'm not giving up my coffee, so that was my, <laughs> my plant uh, products. Um, water, meat, and that could be fish or shellfish or beef. My diet was during that period was probably 90% beef uh, and um, eggs. Okay. So I, I, the last two and a half years, starting when I was the ketogenic diet and then when I went into the carnivorous diet, and then we can talk about where I, where I am now on diet, but I've averaged eating six eggs a day for the past two and a half years. And uh, we should probably touch on it at some point. By eating six eggs a day, my cholesterol, total cholesterol is now 150. My HDL is 70. Uh, my triglycerides are 40. Uh, and uh, basically, that's I've reversed my triglycerides and my HDL. My, my triglycerides used to be around 100, and my HDL used to be about 37. So I think all doctors would agree that my current lipid profile is much, much better than before I started eating six eggs a day. So like Weight wow. Watchers, I'm of the opinion that eggs are a zero-point food, eat all you want. Well, that is uh, that is an interesting thought. I mean, when someone hears this and hears nothing but animal products, I think a lot of people are, you know, that means when you say that, I just want to call out, that means no vegetables. Like none, no vegetables, no fruits, no bread, no potatoes, no, no, no seeds, no nuts, no cheese, no cream, no milk, uh, no juice, of course. Um, and wow. I did that for 14 and a half months with zero exceptions. Wow. Um, and again, I, I guess I wouldn't suggest to the average person that they have to go to the, I mean, to that sort of extreme. But having had so much success with my symptoms on the ketogenic diet, but yet I still continue to have the, the, the manifestations of Crohn's with, by internal exam, by scopes, from yeah. the top and the bottom. We don't need to get into the details. And also <laughs> external uh, CT scans. I thought, well, let me experiment with this. And then when I started to do it, I was surprised how my urge to have anything with sweetener or any of those other things, how that went away. And I and for me, I started to, I would always look forward to having another ribeye. <laughs> and I, I just, th there was no decision making. So Sunday would come and I would cook meats 
for the whole week and I'd make my lunches for the week and I would just cut up all these different types of meat and I would organize them uh, and I would I would have those as my lunches and it really is a very simple yet for me luxurious you know, way of eating. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it, it really, uh, yeah, like you said, it simplified your life and removed some of the decision-making out of the process of what to eat you knew what you were going to eat and you just made it. And then kind of what about your, your life? It sounds like. Right. But at social, I mean, I'm married and, and socially it could be a little difficult. If you went out with another couple, you have to think about, well, what rest, restaurant are you going to go to? We're probably not going to go get Asian food. Okay. Well, we'll go to a place where Josh can get some kind of meat, but you know, I'd be flexible about fish or whatever. And then again, I would have a, pretty in-depth interview with the, with the wait staff about no sauces around this. And, and so you, you become a little bit of a, of a, you know, an outcast. Now that said, I had, I had lost a bunch of, of, of weight. Uh, I was feeling at my strongest. I was exercising a lot because of a desire to exercise rather than uh, any sort of feeling of obligation. So, that was the trade-off. People would say, wow, I haven't seen you in two years. You, you, you look incredible. And what are you doing? And then I would look at my wife and I would say, honey, you told me that if they drew me out, you know, I could talk about, about my <laughs> diet. Um, but because that was always my promise. I won't bring it up. Um, because as, as Joe, you and I have talked about off the air, uh, you know, once you see the impact on this and I, I've, put my mother and my sister and my stepfather and some close friends of mine on this diet, obviously not as a physician, but just as a friend and by living by example. And I've seen the improvements they've made with their their health and their energy level, mental acuity. Um, all of the conditions of aging just seem to recede a little bit. Uh, and again, the, the joint pain, the long recovery from exercise, the grunting and groaning when you you sit up or or when you stand up or or sit down, all of those things seem to go away along with weight, yet without any hunger. So I I, I just couldn't wait to share that with my loved ones or frankly anybody who was <laughs> dumb enough to inquire about what what I had been doing. Wow! And so all of these these positive benefits are coming independent of other changes. This is just changing your diet, uh, your family members changing their diet, and they're seeing all of these benefits that you're talking about. Right. Now, I'm fortunate that they, my, no one in my family had Crohn's uh, or, a, or a condition like that, but certainly my mother, who's 84, has been eating this way now for several years, and she's become stronger, more resilient, leaner, and she actually complained to me recently that that she's not hungry, but she's losing too much weight. And could I help her tweak her diet so she doesn't get too thin? This was after losing 35 pounds, you know, the in her early 80s without any hunger or, or discomfort and, and wondering why it was that no one had ever told her that this was was possible. And I just asked her, well, how long do you have? I can tell you the history that, that, that I've learned along the way. Um, so anyway, let me, let me try to close the, uh, the Crohn's loop. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So most recent scans have showed, uh, absence of, uh, of 
Crohn's activity in my large intestine, and there's still a little bit of activity where my large intestine and small intestine come together, um, where the, the surgery site had originally been in 1997. And it's harder to get as good a look at the small intestine um, because you can't get a scope up to see it. So what I have coming up, and I'm, I'm excited about because of you know, I think of myself as a scientist with only with only one subject, but I'm hoping to do a, a, a I think it's called a camera endoscopy. But you swallow a camera pill, and then they follow it through, and you can get um, you can get a sort of a visual picture as that camera pill travels all the way through your intestines. So you, I will be able to see. My doctor will be able to see um, what level, if any, of activity I have left in my in my small intestine, but I can tell you from just, you know, pressing on it and feeling around that, that there just isn't any of the discomfort that I used to have. Um, so my confidence level is, uh, is, is pretty high that I've, uh, I've been able to make a positive impact on the disease that's in my small intestine as well, although I don't have any visible proof of that yet. Wow. And, you know, it, it's interesting that you say that, that, um, is it, let's see, it's your large intestine that's clear? Yeah. Your large intestine is now clear of, of Crohn's activity. Yeah. And what we typically think of when, uh, when you hear about someone like eating a lot of meat, like eating a, a cheeseburger or whatever it is, or eating a hamburger, you think like, oh, like that's going to clog your, your pipes. That's going to clog your arteries. And I know that we're not talking exactly about your arteries here, but the it's just kind of remarkable that um, this diet that you went on that is meat and eggs. So it, it's like everything that conventional wisdom would say or conventional thought would say is going to clog up your system. It has led to a remarkable healing. In your system, I mean that that has been my experience. I will say that there's no indication of any issues in my gallbladder. I've obviously been exercising it with all the the uh, fatty meats that I've been eating the last uh, last three coming up on three years. Uh, and in addition to that, I did have a I did go in and get a cardiac uh, calcium scan. Uh, my primary care physician and my gastroenterologist were concerned based on their training that maybe I'm going to uh, uh, have challenges both with uh, cholesterol and, um, you know, heart issues from eating all this meat and eggs. So uh, my cardiac calcium score was a zero, indicating there's no um, detectable plaque in any of my coronary arteries. So um, indicating my risk of a, of a heart issue in the next 10 years is something in the 1.4% uh, range, which is pretty good if you're 58. Um, so, and, and yeah, the the coronary artery calcium scan that is um, that's typically thought to be kind of the best measure of um, of damage to um, of risk for a heart attack. Is that? Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, yeah there's there, there's some folks who disagree about whether people should have it. My opinion is everyone should have it because what I've seen, again, from online research is people 
being able to change their diet and stabilize their score, or even in some cases reverse it. And stabilizing your score seems to have um, just as good a preventative effect as not having any plaque there in the first place. So Ivor Cummins has done a tremendous amount um, of work in this area. So I would encourage uh, folks if they're interested, uh, because the, the, the calcium score gives you an actual picture of whether or not you have whether or not you have disease. And there are steps you can take if you do have disease to address that. Uh, some doctors think that if there, there's nothing you can do about it, so why get the bad news if, if you're not bothered? <laughs> and oftentimes your insurance won't pay for it, but I was able to get a scan locally for $99, so very uh, uh, affordable, and I thought under, under the circumstances. And I did promise when I went on the carnivore diet, I did promise my primary care physician that I would take a multivitamin, which I probably 50% of the time kept uh, <laughs> kept that promise to her because uh, um, she was so concerned that without vegetables or fruit, that where was my vitamin C going to come from and all of these sorts of uh, issues that don't seem to have manifested in, uh, themselves. So that said, recently I've been experimenting a little bit with additional um fiber again not to get too technically but technical but my belief is that the part of my intestine that was removed was responsible for reabsorbing bile so in order for me to have a, even the sort of a better quality of of, of stool um perhaps um, having a little bit of fiber would help that and i literally think of it medicinally so for example i will have two tablespoons of black beans every morning for two weeks and then I'll say, okay, well, and do everything else the same. Well, yeah. what, what impact did that have? Or maybe I'll have a quarter cup or a third of a cup of broccoli every morning for two weeks and say, okay, well, what, what did that do? And then everything else just the, just the same. So one little change at a time. And again, yeah, not suggesting scientific. that everyone else, anyone else does this, but yeah. I've been having quite a bit of a Quite a bit of fun with it. <laughs> so my current diet is more, it's basically the carnivore diet, tiny bit of hard cheese occasionally, and then experimenting with vegetables. I found that a quarter of an avocado is kind of helpful. So okay. I've kept that up. And now I'm experimenting with a couple of tablespoons of, of, of black beans along with otherwise strictly um, meat and eggs in the same way that I've been doing. So that, that meat and egg experiment is now carried through for about 22 months, the last eight of which I've been fooling around a little bit with the, with the medicinal uh, attempts at, at vegetables. Okay. So you've been, you know, you've been medicinally um, experimenting with adding fiber back in. But for those 14 months, I guess I want to step back to this. For those 14 months, you had virtually zero fiber, Correct. zero fiber. Now that, is that anything that, um, you know, that was ever recommended to you by any, uh, you know, any conventional medical practitioner that you've seen? Because that, that flies in the face of at least what, um, what I hear from the conventional medicine, um, uh, from conventional doctors in the world. Right. So the, the answer is no, uh, but I started to see online anecdotes and followed uh, Dr. Sean Baker, who's a, a leading carnivore and um, 
Dr. Paul Saladino and some anecdotal reports. And I thought, well, let, let's see what happens. Maybe I'll feel terrible and I'll, I'll need to go back. But otherwise, let me try to uh, rest my intestines. I heard about uh, uh, Michaela Peterson, uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter, had had all sorts of, uh, she had uh, pediatric rheumatoid arthritis to the point of having to have joints replaced when she was a teenager. And she also had uh, chronic depression issues and she ended up on a carnivore diet and then addressed uh, virtually all of the issues she was having. So that was a very public, uh, you know, display of success with the carnivore diet. And I thought, well, maybe I'll be one of those people. Um, so I did the experiment and I just, I just don't have any desire. That's why when I eat plants now, it's I'm eating them as part of a plan as if I was taking, someone said, well, we'll, we'll take your medicine or, or take a, the supplement. Um, so that's why I'm doing it. It's not because I have any desire of, gosh, I miss spinach or I miss beans. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm honing down. I'm getting closer and closer to a perfect daily digestive result. I never have gas or pain or urgency or any of those things. Really never. Wow. So And so two decades ago, how often would you have... Um, you know, digestive discomfort and pain and, you know, some of these problems that you say you never have now? So I would say 40% of the days um, I would have some problem which would be sort of unexpected. But otherwise I could get into a rhythm of when I would go to the bathroom, but I would go to the bathroom not to get too graphic for the audience, five or six times a day, you would never have a sort of a, a typical formed bathroom movement. So I would think about that. I, I could somehow s- sometimes proactively go before there was any pressure or, or, or problems and just empty out whatever that I had. Um, very, very different experience. And I, I literally, there were there have been times in the past couple of years where I I remember, well, this is the first really kind of normal bowel movement that I've had in as long as I can remember. Wow. So, I mean, significant changes in, in, in quality of life and, and the digestive experience that I was having. Again, completely unrelated to um, to any sort of medication or even attempt of medication. That's why I did the attempt with Humira. It started, it ended, and then I didn't change anything else during that during that period, um, yeah. and then I was able to identify, how are, we, how are we having a result from that? And the answer was no. And then, likewise, you experimented with diet, changed. It sounds like, I mean, do you consider, had there been other factors at play, do you think, in, um, in your uh, robust health improvement? Or, um, you know, to what, to what degree do you think it's, the diet, I guess. So, and, and that, that's, that's a great question. So I, I certainly have started to exercise a little bit more, but as I said, I started to exercise when I felt like it. It wasn't part of the regime. My wife has, has been a part-time spin instructor, so I would start to go along with her, and then I um, picked up other things, and I started to do some weight training um, more, but just a tiny bit. Literally, I'll do 10 to 15 minutes in the morning. And I, what I used to do was I, I 
when I first started the ketogenic diet and I had all this energy, I still had some inflammation in my body because I remember when I would do, I would have push day, pull day, leg day, and then cardio day, and I would rotate those four. And if yesterday was push day, when I went into the gym in the morning, I could feel it. Well, what was yesterday? Oh, yeah, my chest hurts or my triceps hurt. Yesterday must have been push day, so yeah. today should be pull day. But now, and maybe maybe Joe, who's a, you know a great a great physical condition, maybe he'll tell me I'm not working hard enough uh, now. But but my current situations, I have to remember because when I go into the gym on Tuesday morning and I try to think, well, what did I do on Monday? Did I do push day or pull day? And I can't remember, and I don't have any soreness to guide me. So what I've learned is I have to kind of focus on what I'm doing and remember that so I I can remember to rotate through my progression because I don't have the soreness that I used to have on on the carnivore diet. The recovery is so much better. And I have tried to push myself more um, in terms of doing a little bit more weight training. And now I go to the gym and I try to work different parts than I can do in in my home gym. And all of that has just been very, uh, very positive. I'm training. I think it was Dr. Peter Peter Atia who said this. I'm in the 90-year-old Olympics, which is at the age of 90, I want to be able to do certain things that uh, Dr. Atia has laid out. And they include picking up a a child, a four-year-old child, being able to put your own 35-pound suitcase in the overhead compartment on an airplane without getting help from anybody. So he's, he has a whole list of these items, and I'm I'm uh, looking forward. He said, you should be able to do this at age 60 if you're going to do that at age 90. So I'm on his uh, – trying to follow his trajectory to make sure I'm uh, I'm there. Very cool. Okay. So, you know, you, the exercise has kind of kicked up. You felt, you know, you're less inflamed, so you feel more – able to exercise, but would you still attribute largely the the improvements in your health, you know, back to the diet? Is that, or, you know, are there other other factors or would you say primarily? Right. I, I, I would say the diet is, is for the Crohn's condition has to be the by far the largest part of it. Uh, but the energy that I've gotten from both the ketogenic diet and from the carnivore version of the ketogenic diet. And the reason I call it that is I, I'm still in dietary ketosis. If I, if I test, I used to test my ketones every day because I was fanatical, but they basically were always the same because I was always eating the same things and doing the same exercise routine. So now I do it once a week to try to detect if there are any changes. And frankly, that, that's probably a waste. I should probably go to once a month. Um, <laughs> As part of that, because I, I always run about the same level of ketones and the same level of fasted um, blood sugar. So the, 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 so that addresses the Crohn's, but the exercise certainly has given me more and more energy. So for example, the things that I do now, when I was on that, my wife and I were on a cruise over the Christmas and, and New Year's holiday. And when you're on a cruise ship, you walk a lot of stairs unless you take the elevator. But if you don't want to wait for the elevator, then you take take the stairs. And then my watch would track how many flights of stairs. So I was doing about 70 flights of stairs a day on average. So when I think about where I was 
seven or eight years ago and my willingness to do 70 flights of stairs over the course of the day, um, I literally would, it's easier for me to do two stairs at a time. So I would intentionally do one at a time just to make it more difficult <laughs> and try to get a little more, uh, have a little more fun with it and, and, and try to, my wife would do one at a time and we, we do them together. And that's something I, that just would not have been me five years ago. Well, and yeah, you, you mentioned earlier, I, I might not be getting your age right, but you were, I think in your twenties, um, you talked about just stepping into the shower, having, having trouble doing that. Can you imagine at that point looking forward, um, you know, approximately 30 years and thinking, Oh yeah, I'm going to be intentionally taking 70 flights of stairs one step at a time. Not, not on that day, although, uh, you know, I certainly was, that was not a normal, condition, but that's yeah. what was so striking about it. Okay. I mean, I, I was a, you know, perfectly functional 27-year-old yeah. uh, um, in, in, in 1988. But looking backward, uh, when perhaps with the 2020 vision, I, I certainly make the connection between that and the, um, and the autoimmune condition that was ultimately diagnosed in, in 1991. Yeah, well, you know, with I think uh, something you said just with the, um, you know, wanting to, when you're 90, be able to pick up a small child and put your own uh, bag up in the overhead compartment on a plane, uh, it leads me to uh, to the question that we always ask here on the You Cured What podcast. Um, you know, now that you have improved your health, what is one thing you enjoy doing that you couldn't do before? Yes. I guess the thing I enjoy doing is, is because I'm completely in control of my, of my hunger, um, I enjoy, as strange as this, this sounds, I enjoy occasionally under circumstances just not eating. So, for example, we have a religious holiday um, Yom Kippur, where you don't eat for 24 hours. So the last couple of years, I've just decided not to eat. Instead of for one day, just not eating for three days, just to have the experience to try to generate some level of hunger to have the Yom Kippur experience that I was supposed to be having in the first day. And I really wasn't so much having. Um, so the same thing for colonoscopy. They'll say, well, don't eat for a day in advance and the day before that, don't eat these sorts of things, which, you know, nuts and seeds, which I don't eat anyway. So I'll just not eat for three days before just for the heck of it. Or I know I'm traveling somewhere. I'm going on a business trip. It's going to be hard to eat the things I normally eat. So I just won't eat for a day or two on the trip. And that certainly something I never would have been able to do before. I was the person, oh, I, I've had the same job for 18 years in one form or another. I worked for the same company. And I was that person up until 2017, had all the administrative assistants in my building sort of coached up to send me an email or, or give me a call when some special sweet treat was delivered potentially from a vendor We've got 3,000 people in our uh, in our building, um, and there's a lot of that sweet treat activity going on, especially at this 
time of year as we're you know, between the holidays and, and getting soon toward uh, Valentine's Day. And I would go and look for a sweet treat, a chocolate bar or something, or a donut off somebody's desk at 10.30 in the morning after eating a typical breakfast of a couple of bowls of oatmeal. And then I would eat lunch around 12.30 or 1. Now by 3 o'clock, I was back out making my rounds of all the administrative assistants that typically had brought in the best uh, chocolates and, and other candies. And I would have a snack around 3 o'clock. And then they were good enough to tell me what drawer they would hide the chocolates in overnight. Uh, and then at 6 or 6.30, if I was still in the building, um, then I would go back and get an, get additional uh, chocolate. So, so it was part of my routine to every several hours during the day to have some sort of candy or, or sweet or a donut or a candied apple or whatever it was that had been cookies, uh, whatever had been had been sent in. So not having that experience, certainly it makes me more effective that I'm not roaming the halls randomly uh, four times a day. But that's certainly um, to, to go to the point where I really have no particular need to eat, um, even for days at a time, if it's helpful to my circumstances from where I was where I, I, I couldn't make it three hours without getting, uh, you know, a headache or feeling a loss of energy. Um, it's a very different experience. Not the one I was originally going after, but certainly a great, a great byproduct. Uh, that's phenomenal. It seems like it uh, gives you more control over, um, over your life and just over, um, over your time. Um, you know, you learned a lot of this on your own. Um, are there any resources that you can suggest to, to someone, whether it's someone um, dealing with Crohn's or um, maybe another autoimmune condition, or even if it's uh, something like uh, Tourette's, like um, in your, your son's experience could be greatly modified uh, with a dietary change. Are there any resources that you would recommend to um, to someone to check out? Yeah, no, absolutely. So a couple that come to mind, um, meetrx.com is a website that uh, Sean Baker started, and, and you can search MeetRx without even joining. Uh, you can search various um, medical conditions and read stories from people who have addressed their conditions either partially or fully. Um, so I think that's a, a great resource. And then dietdoctor.com is something similar as well as some of the basic description about how you might start down the road toward a, toward a healthier, cleaner, um, low carb uh, type of, uh, type of diet. So those are great resources. If you, if you, if somebody is interested in learning, how we went sideways and started giving everyone, uh, and frankly, not just in the U.S., but in the world, the wrong dietary advice. Then uh, reading Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz is incredibly compelling, almost like a murder mystery whodunit type of a book, exquisitely uh, researched and presented. Um, Good Calories, Bad Calories by Gary Taubes. Is another one, but that that's much goes much more deeply into the uh, into the science. So it takes a certain type of person who wants to dig into that. Um, 
to that. But once you start down the rabbit hole, I think, Joe, you and I have had the same experience where you you can't unsee what you've seen. You see, you start to see so many benefits in yourself and your friends who try this or your family members who, who try to eat more healthfully with just some basic rules. Let me cut out all added sugars, all processed carbohydrates. I'm not going to eat processed vegetable oils. And then I'm just, you know, that leaves me with just real food with, uh, with you know, the a better mix of protein and, and fats and carbohydrates than I had previously. That to me doesn't sound so daunting for the average person. And if yeah. you're in fairly good health, whatever your age, and I, and I talk to my oldest son about this, I, I give his diet at this point a C plus, um, not excellent, but at 22, it's easy for him to make even modest changes. You know, he may, if I asked him to do push-ups today, he could probably do 15. But if he worked on it for a month, he could probably do 75. I've seen him do that before. As opposed to me, I could work on it for two years and I might move them from 25 to to, to 29. <laughs> so, you know, when you're young and basically healthy, I think you don't have to take the level of draconian dramatic changes um, that you have to take when um, when you're, you're more metabolically challenged. But when I think about my, my father not having the information or maybe not the desire to manage his type one diabetes, and then he left us when, when uh, before I just before I turned thirty at the age of sixty, and now being fifty eight, and looking at my children, and wanting so much to be a part of their lives. When I think about what is my why, yeah. then I can make any. I personally can make any dietary change. If it was just, hey, I'd like to look better in a swimsuit, it might be more difficult. But the thing that was so striking to me is once you've made the changes, the desire for sweet things or to eat bread, it's just not there. And I know how hard that is for people who hear that for the first time. One of my other sons said, oh, you don't understand the relationship I have with carbohydrates. <laughs> it's like, son, you're talking to somebody who couldn't go three hours with that, without sugar. I understand. Yeah. And that relationship, just like the relationship with your ex-girlfriend, is different now than it was then. It really will change, I promise you. Um, but everybody has to find their why as a starting point. Yeah. Yeah, I guess sometimes you just got to break up with sugar. It, it might pay off. And you don't miss her after a while. I mean, you don't miss it after after a while. Um, well, yeah, that... Um, that's a phenomenal story. You've um, you've overcome Crohn's disease um, that you've had for decades, and um, I know you're waiting on the final or you know on another scan to confirm an even you know more definite improvement. But you've already seen so many definite improvements in lab results, and more importantly, in your own life. So um, you know it, it's. Stories like yours that inspire me and I think inspire a lot of the uh, community that we follow online. And so um, thank you, Josh, for coming on here and sharing your story. Um, if anyone, is there 
anywhere that uh, you know you have where people could reach out to you if they have questions or um, otherwise you're always you know listeners are always welcome to uh, reach out to me on Twitter and I can reach out to Josh but is there anywhere um, that they can reach out to you no absolutely I'm, I'm on Twitter I'm I, I certainly am no sort of a social influencer but um, you can find me um, under at keto underscore insider um, and happy to um, interact with people directly if if they they reach out through uh, through a message <clears throat> obviously they can uh, they can follow me or look at the people that I follow or obviously that Joe follows if you want to to learn more. But I, I do think it makes sense to uh, to reach out to somebody who's done a lot of that legwork. Reach out with your specific issue if you have an, uh, like a woman with a hormonal issue. Well, based on what I've read, I would probably send you to a couple of specific blogs or people for that issue. If you're somebody that has arthritis, maybe someplace else. So happy to share, as I know Joe is, uh, to direct people to get them started um, based on wherever they are in their journey and wh whatever their goals are. All right. Well, that's perfect. So that's twitter.com slash keto underscore insider to hear more from Josh. Um, thank you so much, Josh. It's my it. pleasure, Joe. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to You Cured What? Join us again soon for another story of healing.